Grace and peace be multiplied to each of you this morning in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let me thank publicly my friend and brother, Dr. Allen, for the invitation to be with you. Let me praise God publicly for this school and for each of you and for this opportunity to proclaim to you the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Would you get your copy of God's word, be turning with me to Jeremiah. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we do pray that you would be glorified even now as we study your word. Fix our hearts, renew our minds, strengthen our faith. Help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory. And we reserve for you the highest praise and full credit for the fruit that shall come from this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 29. I want you to meditate with me on verse 11. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. Amen. I want to label the message simply, God has a plan. God has a plan. Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 1 reads, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar overthrew Jerusalem in 587 B.C. As verse 1 says, the elders, priests, prophets, and people were taken into captivity, but a remnant remained in Jerusalem. And there was some correspondence between Jerusalem and Babylon so that the remnant in Jerusalem knew the condition of the exiles in Babylon. These correspondents disclosed that there were false prophets who claimed that this Babylonian captivity would not last long, that it would soon end. But these prophetic liars were not speaking on God's behalf. The lies they told could possibly lead to a revolt by the exiles. But there was no way that these captives could defeat the Babylonian empire. After all, it was not the Babylonians. It was not Nebuchadnezzar who had overthrown Jerusalem. Genesis, uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 4 tells us it was the Lord who sent his people into exile from Babylon, from Jerusalem into Babylon. Jeremiah had tearfully predicted that their unrepentant sin would lead to divine punishment. And now he sorrowfully watches as his predictions come to pass. Jeremiah, unlike the false prophets, knew that this 
period of chastisement would not finish until God had finished chastising his people. And so he writes this divine message to the people. He says, build houses, verse 5, and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. The Babylonian captivity would not be ending anytime soon. And in the meantime, these exiles were to try to develop a normal life in this foreign land. In fact, verse 7 says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The people were not to try to revolt against Nebuchadnezzar. They were, in fact, to seek the peace and prosperity of the land in which God had taken them captive. The false prophets would have them believe that all of this would be over in just two years. But verse 10 reads, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. Think about that. Tenth verse. When God punished the children of Israel on their way to Canaan, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Here, God says the Babylonian captivity would last for 70 years. But God will fulfill the promise that he has made to his people and he will deliver them. And it is in that context that verse 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans of good and not of evil to bring you to a future and a hope. This is arguably the most famous verse in Jeremiah's prophecy, it is one of the great promises of the Bible. It is a life verse for many believers. This passage is misused, mistreated, misinterpreted when it is taken out of context, but it is an error at the opposite extreme to suggest that it does not speak to us in any way today. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 reminds us that all of the promises of God find their yes in Christ. No, this passage is not written to us. When you read Jeremiah 29, you are literally reading someone else's mail. It is not written to us, but it is written for us. And the reason why this verse is for us is because it is not about us. In fact, it is not about the exiles to whom Jeremiah wrote this passage. This passage is about God, and it declares the truth about God that is life-transforming. I can state it in four words. God has a plan. I hope that's encouraging for you today. In the midst of your personal trials, your faith walk, your family concerns, your ministry assignment, your formal studies, God in the midst of it all, God has a plan. 
Let me get this out of the way because I know you're thinking, HB, what's the plan? I have no idea. <laughs> so we'll just get that out of the way. I, I didn't come to give you the details of the plan, but I did come to assure you that in the midst of whatever it is, God has a plan. There are three assurances about God's plan that I want you to see in this verse. Would you note, first of all, God has known plans. God has known plans. That's how the verse begins. I know the plans that I have for you. This asserts divine personality. God is not merely some uncaused cause or unmoved mover. God makes plans. Psalm 33, verse 11. The counsels of the Lord stand forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. God makes plans. God is not a God who wound up the world in creation like a clock and then left it to run on its own devices. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. Note the language here. These are not your plans for God. And they are not your plans for yourself. They are God's plans for you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says that God works all things according to the counsel of his own will. I know the plans that I have for you. What you find here is tension between divine wisdom and human speculation. Charles Spurgeon wrote, and of course I have a Charles Spurgeon quote. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon wrote that providence is a great deep. Its breath exceeds our range of vision. Its depth baffles our most profound thoughts. We don't know what God's plans are from one day to the next, but God says, I know the plans that I have for you. The Hebrew is emphatic. I, I know the plans that I have for you. And would you note that he does not say, I knew the plans that I had for you? This speaks in real time. I know now the plans that I now have for you. The Babylonian captivity did not cancel God's plans. As tragic as it was to the people of Israel, it was the means by which God would carry out his plans. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 24 says, The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intentions of his mind. In the latter days, you will understand this. That's the end of the next chapter. You don't understand it all now. But know that God has a plan. God is thinking about us. God has not forgotten us. God knows what he is doing. And what we see here is that God's thoughts are not the contemplations of a philosopher entertaining theories. God's thoughts are the plans of a king preparing for battle. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know 
That for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Notice in verses 8 and 9, for thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. These false prophets did not know what God's plans were, but the text says, I know the plans that I have for you. Note this phrase. Don't throw this phrase away. Don't miss this phrase. Declares the Lord. We don't trust that God has a plan because we know it. We trust that God has a plan because God said it. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Ray Pritchard is right. God will not always do what we expect him to do, but God will always do what he says he will do. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Isaiah 55 verses 10 and 11 says, as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and causes it to spring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that comes forth from my mouth. It shall never return empty. It shall accomplish that for which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I send it. We can trust that God has a plan because his word says he has a plan. The famous Baptist evangelist Vance Havner used to tell his parents that had a music box at the house and he would wind it up. And it would play the hymn of the church standing on the promises of God. Then he said over time, when it would wind down, the music box would go from standing on the promises to just sitting on the premises. Which one are you today? Are you standing on the promises or just sitting on the premises? Let me testify. I'm standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing. I am standing on the promises of God. Here's my verse. Standing on the promises that will not fail, though the howling winds of fear and doubt assail, by the living word of God, we will prevail. Standing on the promises of God. God has known plans. But would you note, secondly, God has Good plans. The verse begins by affirming the reality of God's plans. For I know the plans that I have for you. Then the text moves into stating the nature of those plans. What kind of plans are they? Plans of welfare and not of evil. Plans for welfare and not of evil does not suggest in any way that when something bad happens, it happens outside the scope of God's plan. Isaiah 45 verse 7 says, I form the light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. God 
is in control of everything. The good and the bad, the sunshine and the rain, the blessings and the calamity. Now, I didn't get that from reading John Calvin, Martin Luther, or Jonathan Edwards. I got that from the children's choir in the church I grew up in. It taught me to sing, he's got the whole world in his hands. He controls it all. We must not be like Job's wife who sought to relieve the misery of her husband by telling him to just get it over with, curse God and die. Job 2 and 10, he warns that she's talking the way foolish women talk. Will we receive good from God and not calamity? How foolish are those who would have believers to think that walking by faith is a guarantee of a life of health and wealth and success. Real faith is ambidextrous. It can take trouble in one hand and, and blessings in the other hand and, and do so confidently that in the midst of it all, God knows the plans that he has for you. And they are plans of welfare and not of evil. Notice that in verse 7, Jeremiah writes, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And now in verse 11, the Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you. Plans for welfare and not for evil. One famous translation renders this phrase, plans to prosper and not to harm you. I think this is why the verse is so misused and misinterpreted and misrepresented. The prosperity guys love that. Plans to prosper you. But this is no guarantee of health and wealth and success in this life. When I was, a, when I was young, one of the famous Televangelist Jim Baker had a monumental ministry, had a downfall, went to prison and came out. And one day going through a bookstore, I saw that he had published an autobiography. I bought it. It was 600 pages. I knew I would not read one of them. I bought it just for the title, I Was Wrong. That's all I needed to read. And so is anyone. Who suggests that faith in God guarantees that everything in this life will go your way? That is not what this text is suggesting. But there is an assurance here that God makes plans for your welfare. Welfare here is the term for peace. It is God's all-encompassing peace. It's not merely the absence of anxiety or hostility. It is, biblical peace is not just the negative, the absence of the negative, it's, it's the positive in the midst of the negative. John 16, 33, Jesus says, I spoke these things to you so that in me you might have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God says, I have plans for your welfare. What is God's welfare plan? 
All we are told is the next phrase. But what a great phrase it is. Not for evil. When you don't know what the plan is, you can still rejoice in what the plan is not. You you may not have liked what did happen, but thank God for what didn't happen. His plans are not for evil. Again, Charles Spurgeon writes, the next time the devil comes to you with his dark insinuations, tell him that the Lord's thoughts of you are not of evil. Drive him away with that. When he hisses his foul suggestions, respond by saying, not of evil. This is the blessed assurance that is ours in the bloody cross and empty tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8 verse 32 assures us, he who spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not along with him graciously give us all things? God has known plans. God has good plans. Thirdly, finally, God has sure plans. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans of welfare and not of harm. Note the intended result. To give you a future and a hope. To give you affirms divine generosity. You don't have to fight for the future. You don't have to keep hope alive. God says, I will give you a future and a hope. I'll give it to you. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every Perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is good all the time. This statement, this promise, this assurance is given to the people of Israel who were in Babylonian captivity. It would last for 70 years. Those who went in as babies would come out if they did as seniors. And those who would hear this promise as adults most likely would not make it out of Babylon alive. And yet God says to him, my plans for you are to give you a future and a hope. Future is a promise for tomorrow. It means that the story doesn't end with what happened yesterday. The best is yet to come. Hope is great expectation. It is more than wishful thinking. It's blessed assurance. Wishing is about you. Hope is about God. Wishing is a line from where you are into the unknown future, hoping to catch something. Hope is assurance that starts where God already is and draws you into his purpose for you. God says to these Babylonian captivities, those in Babylonian captivity, I have a plan for you that will give you a future and a hope. I don't understand it all, but I believe it. I believe this promise is true. Charles Simeon said 
It may be a long time before his eternal counsels are manifested by visible and corresponding events. But the purposes of the Lord will never be frustrated. The purposes of the Lord will never be frustrated. Romans 8, 29 and 30 says, For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. From beginning to end, God is in control. So I bid you, wait on God to fulfill his plans. Lamentations chapter 3 Verses 25 and 26 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Wait on God to fulfill his plan. What do you do in the meantime? That's the big question. God will keep all of his promises. What do you do in the meantime? Jeremiah chapter 29 says, verses 12 and 13, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. You see what God is saying? Don't seek the plan, seek the planner of the plan. It doesn't matter if you don't know the plan. You just need to stay close to the one who's got the plan. He says, you will seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. Or as Philippians 1, 6 says, and I am sure of this, he who has begun a good work in you shall complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. As a boy, I used to enjoy watching TV with my dad. That experience is different than watching TV with my children. The options and the shows are different now. My, my dad would call me in. I, he'd say, son, find me a cowboy. That's what he would say. He didn't call them Westerns. He said, find me a cowboy. And I'd sit there watching cowboy show with my dad. He was enjoying it. A lot of times I would not. <laughs> and in the process, the tension would be building and, and the time was running out. And the villain was still on the loose and the damsel was still in distress. And the hero was far away. And the time was running out. And the anxiety was rising. And then the screen would go black. And words would show up. To be continued. And you wouldn't know what was going to happen next week, but the anxiety would decrease. Because just that statement was all you needed to know it looks bad now, but the story is not over. 
no matter what the challenge is in your life, in your family, in your ministry, whatever God has assigned in your life. If you have trusted the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ, you have the assurance today that whatever's going on is not the end of the story. God knows how to insert in your story to be continued. That's the children of Israel at the Red Sea. Desert, one side, Red Sea, Pharaoh's army. God said to be continued when it looked like the end. Daniel in the lion's den looks like it's over, but God stepped in and said to be continued. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace. This is where I wish I was back at my church now. <laughs> yeah, they shout back at me. It looks like it's over in the fiery furnace, but it's to be continued. And on a hill called Calvary, on one Friday afternoon, where Jesus hung on the cross for your sins and mine, it looked like the end. But early Sunday morning, God said to be continued. And that same God says to you today, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans of welfare and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that it is a living word. And all of it is inspired and profitable for teaching, rebuke, correction, and training in righteousness. Thank you for the living hope from these ancient words. And I pray for the brother or sister under the sound of my voice who drug themselves into this chapel carrying a heavy burden and needed assurance that you have everything under control. Even for my brothers and sisters who hear this and all is well in their lives. I pray, Father, that as it were, you'd help us to put this in the bank for a rainy day and trust that in all of the seasons of life and family and ministry and study and whatever the assignment may be, you know what you're doing. You have everything under control. And you will complete the good work that you have begun in us. We praise you for it in Jesus' name.